Wow. Welcome to This Here Wow, the podcast dedicated to highlighting entirely exceptional people, places, and things found right here, right under our noses in South Georgian Bay. I'm Dean Holland, the lucky so-and-so charged with the exceedingly pleasurable task of pulling that all together, right here each week in under an hour. So, nearing two decades ago, something really rather unexpected happened to yours truly. I was transplanted. I was sitting rather comfortably in my residence in my hometown of Hamilton, Ontario, with my wife, when the phone rang. The call was about a job, an entertainment gig. I, if you don't know it already, am an entertainer. To make a rather long story a whole lot shorter, less than six months after that call, I was sitting in an apartment in Collingwood, Ontario, above the theater that I was then about to start running. In that apartment, with my wife and our two children under the age of two. This was potentially to be a short-term thing. We'd have to see if we really liked this arrangement, work and otherwise, before selling our house back in the city. And here we are, 18 years later, continuing to enjoy life here in South Georgian Bay. SGB, I will often refer to it as. SGB, the place to be, as it were. I rub shoulders here in SGB with a lot of other transplants, as well as a lot of lifers, as they are often referred to, the folks who were lucky enough to grow up here. I love talking to lifers about the changes they've seen over the decades. I love understanding what came before my time here. I also love observing and being introduced to so many of the newer things that make South Georgian Bay so darn great. And it is. Plethora is, I think, a rather ideal word to use when referring to this area I live in. There really is a plethora of exceptional people, of exceptional things, and exceptional places here in SGB, right here. Things that make me go, wow. So I decided it was high time for me to get into a regular habit of reaching out and talking to and about these things that just make me go, wow. That's wow with an exclamation mark, by the way. Each week on this here, wow, that is exactly what will happen. We will enjoy some brief visits with well above average guests. Maybe you didn't know about them, maybe you did, maybe you just needed to be reminded what was right here in your backyard. Hey, maybe you're a a regular visitor or planning to be, and you don't yet know about all the wows. Well, whatever the case, I will do my very best to deliver an armload, a wee bit of that plethora of wows to you each week. On the show today, well, let's see. I've got an artist, one of my faves, who'll chat about building and throwing, among other things related to what she does so well. I'll be chatting with a fella from the western end of SGB. This fella is so dedicated and so proactive when it comes to the music scene out there. I'll also be talking to two-thirds of a trio responsible for about 200 of possibly the sexiest pages one might find in one's pantry. Although, of course, what you keep in your pantry is your own business. But first up is a fella who wants to encourage as many of you as possible to get fat and then come out and play. And with that, let's get started. This here, this here, this here, wow! Sean Calhoun is a bike enthusiast, if he is nothing else. He and his love for those two-wheeled machines, uh, the ones you pedal, to be clear, has been on my radar for a few years now. If it has two wheels and can give him a solid run for his money, he's all over it. Literally. Of late, and the thing that really made me sit up and say wow, was his drive and dedication along with a few others, in developing some local trails designed for what are called fat bikes. So without further delay, here's Sean Calhoun giving me the skinny on fat biking. So 
okay, I'm confused. What the heck's going on? I, I packed away my bikes for the season. <laughs> yeah. I packed them away, and you're telling me that there's biking happening like 15 kilometers south of Collingwood, for goodness sake. Some of the best biking in Ontario right now. If, if you've got a, a bike with a, a fat-sized tire on it, you can have some of the greatest outdoor time that's available. Everybody's looking for something to do, and I just happen to be one of those fortunate guys that that is very passionate about cycling and and i've had a fat bike for a couple of years and you know joined a group of uh really hardcore guys that were willing to try and make something and you know we got a groomer and we started grooming some trails at highlands nordic and it's been a uh a love-hate relationship i guess you could call it it's yeah. been uh, a very steep learning curve but this year we've we've got the trails just in immaculate condition and and so fun to ride like you you can go like last year we battled conditions we battled a lot of snow and we just couldn't get the trails compacted enough that you would go out and you would do eight or nine k and you'd be exhausted and now you can go out you can do 18 or 20 and you're just begging to do more like uh, it's just it's so much fun gotcha now this is happening at highlands nordic which i mean i know this to be one of the premier places in the province of Ontario for cross-country skiing. So how did this all come about? So we've been mountain biking at Highlands Nordic for a couple of years now. And Scott Holmes is actually the spearhead of the fat bike movement up there. And it was just, it was a dream that he had was to get a place to ride in the wintertime that we didn't have to drive very far. You can go, there's places at Dufferin County Forest, the Simcoe County Mountain Bike Association over in Barrie has phenomenal trails as well, but we didn't want to have to drive. You know, it's one of those things you want to spend maximum time on the trail and less time on the highway. Of course. So he approached Highlands Nordic with an idea. They had some great snowshoe trails up there already. They have phenomenal cross-country ski trails. And this was just going to be kind of a pilot project to see where it would go, to see if we could get enough interest uh, to really make it happen. And like I said, last year, we, we were learning as, as groomers, we were learning uh, as trail builders on, on what the right way to go about it and what the wrong way to go about it. And we, we had uh, group rides that, you know, it was just went up and you almost basically took your bike for a walk for 5k. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, it was frustrating to say the least, but then this year with, you know, it helped getting a lot more traffic out there at the end of last year, we were able to kind of change the, the snowshoers around to also walk the path that we were riding to help pack it down. Okay. So you want it to be nice and packed down. You want it hard packed up the, the harder, the better, okay. um, you know, without going to an icy situation, if you can get it packed down where you can actually enjoy your ride. Like there's a few of us sick minded guys that, that the harder it is, the, the more we like it. But for the masses of people, you know, you want it to be enjoyable. And that was the big thing was, you know, Scott and I have talked a lot and we've got a couple other guys that are very instrumental in the grooming. And we come up this year with a few changes that we made to the groomer, a few different things we try and then all of a sudden the conditions were perfect. The snow was perfect. The traffic was perfect. And then we go up for a ride one day and it's like the trails are 
10 out of 10 condition. And we're like, this is what we've been working so hard to, to get to. And now we've got it. Nice. Nice. Can we talk about the bike a little bit? Because not, yeah. not everybody might be familiar about what a fat bike is. Yes. Because so, I don't want to call you a fat biker because yeah. you're not. You're a nice, you're a trim svelte guy. <laughs> so, so. so fat bikes have been around for a long time. Um, you know, there's a kind of a new movement in the mountain bike world where there people are going plus tires as well. Uh, the fat bike basically starts at about a 3.8 inch tire. And then it goes up from there up to 4.8 type thing and it's uh, a very high volume tire that you run a low pressure at so basically the frame is even different it's built with more clearance on the fork and more clearance on the rear end to allow for the bigger tires but it just allows you to stay up on top of the snow a little bit better than cutting into it and you know spinning out in the corners or you know creating yourself to to dip into soft snow so we, you know, it's something we've been very adamant about on the trails is to try and keep the tire sizes larger, uh, keep your pressure low so that, you know, all the work we're putting into the trail lasts. It, it um, sounds like a, uh, a version of snowshoes for bikes. Basically, you'd be even be surprised. I believe that there's a, a fat bike tire called the snowshoe. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, then, <laughs> and I got to tell you, if you see a fat bike, I have, I've seen one and it really kind of catches your eye if you haven't seen one before because the tires look really odd if you're not used to seeing that type of bike i'll tell you the bike itself looks big and cumbersome and heavy and awkward and everybody that i know that i see that isn't in the cycling world they look at it and they're like oh my god that thing must weigh like a tank like what's it like to pedal through snow and then they're extremely surprised to find out that these bikes are down you know 25 to 35 pounds they pedal extremely efficiently, uh, even to the fact that when I did uh, the Leadville 100 in, in uh, Leadville, Colorado, a 100-mile mountain bike race, in the mountains, there was a lot of guys there riding that race on fat bikes. Uh, it's become kind of a, a cult following to some guys that that's the only bike they have. They ride it summer, winter, fall, doesn't matter. That's what they ride. Huh. Now you said earlier that the, the track, you mentioned five kilometers. Is that about how long the track is that you've created? So at Highlands Nordic now, we're probably sitting with around 11 or 12 kilometers of single groomed single track. Now saying that, the nice thing that you have up there is we are not directional. So you can go up and you can ride. There's about five or six different loops uh, one climb trail. Once you're up top, you can just start looping everything together. So each trail you can ride backwards, forwards, you know, it doesn't matter. So by the time you're done, if you want to ride 35 kilometers up there, you can ride 35 kilometers wow, up there. That's impressive. So I've done it a couple of times where I've tried to ride all of it in each direction. Okay. And to do that, you're probably looking at about 20, 25 to 26 kilometers of riding. Mm -hmm. So on a fat bike, that's going to take you you know, if you're booting Ray long, that's going to probably take you about two and a half hours. And that's about all you want to be out there. You're, yeah. you'll, be, you'll be worked after that. Yeah, for sure. It sounds to me like you, um, you're, you're looking for people to come out and do this. Like you're, you're Absolutely. We're, we, we want people to come and enjoy the trails. That's why, you know, our little group of, of hardcore groomers, that's why we 
we dog ourselves out there to make these trails. And, you know, we've, we've kind of joked about it with ourselves and said that, you know, if nobody comes out and enjoys them, at least we've got an awesome place to ride. But in the same sense, you know, we want the locals to be able to enjoy something that's local. We still have a lot of friends and a lot of, of riding partners that are driving somewhere to go ride. And we're like, you're not going to get any better conditions than we have right here. Yeah. So what if somebody wants to jump on in and try this is, uh, are these bikes hard to find these days? Cause I know a lot, uh, I mean, in yes. the, in COVID right now, a lot of equipment is hard yeah. to get because people are, are trying to get it left, right and center. Unfortunately right now they are hard to find. Um, you know, the, the local stores, you can always hit them up, uh, see what they can find, you know, watch the, the buy sells, the, you know, there's pinkbike.com, there's the, the Facebook marketplace. They're always coming for sale. Unfortunately, we're in a time right now with the shortage where people are asking a premium to sell a, a used bike. Yeah, um, some- it, That's tough to see because it is keeping some people from getting to to enjoy it i know kamikaze in collingwood here had some some rentals i'm not sure if they're carrying those again this year not um probably pretty tough to get them if they are they'll be fairly well spoken for uh but the best thing i can say is if you know somebody that's got one and and they're not like myself where they're willing to lend their bikes out uh borrow one and and go for a ride and and see if you truly like it because it's not for everyone but i almost guarantee if you're a cycling fanatic like a lot of us are you get a taste of this and it's just something that you're gonna have to do you just add it to the quiver you put it in the garage and you you enjoy it when you can it has certainly tempted me i have to tell you I might uh, see if uh, I can borrow a fat bike from somebody and get myself yeah. out there. I do highly recommend it. And like I said, it's, it's, uh, it's been a passion of a few of us. We call it's a, it's a kind of a pet name that we call the, uh, the fat bike groomers, but we're whack jobs. Whack job. because we actually truly enjoy locking horns with this groomer and yeah. ripping it through the bushes. And, and it's probably one of the greatest core exercises that you'll get. But at the end of the day, when you get to turn around and then go ride your bike on it, it's just nothing but smiles. Well, it sounds sweet. And I thank you very much for doing that. It's one of, certainly one of the new wows in the area here. And so thanks for all the work you do. And uh, thanks for talking to me again. Okay? Absolutely. Cheers. Thanks for having me. And there you have it. Hats off. Well, helmets, I suppose to Sean Calhoun and his gang, who have been tirelessly and oh-so-lovingly creating something that is indeed a wow, and only adds to making SGB that much greater. If you'd like more information regarding fat biking happening at Highlands Nordic, you can go to highlandsnordic.ca. Now, I'll post that info on the This Here Wow Facebook page. Uh, Just look for This Here Wow Podcast with Dean Holland. Uh, also have some nice fat photos on there, too. This here, this here, this here, wow. Nearing three decades ago now, the second year into my being a pro-actor entertainer, I accepted a job at a camp. About 160 kids worth, incidentally, teaching drama. The camp was on Kennebec Lake, near the small town of Arden, Ontario. My stage was located at one end of a rather substantial Quonset hut. At the other end of that Quonset hut were studios for two other instructors teaching the arts of stained glass and pottery. I returned home six weeks later completely exhausted, but with a great affection for mugs and such made by human hands, and have been collecting ever since. 
I have pottery pieces that have been created by many different potters and ceramic artists. Each piece with its own unique style and vibe. Some pieces the result of being thrown on a wheel. And others, and something I'm particularly fond of, hand-built. One of my favorite ceramic artists right here in SGB is the entirely unassuming yet incredibly talented Anka Lex. When I began exploring the idea of this podcast, she was one of the very first people I reached out to. As the rather tumultuous year of 2020 came to a close, we chatted, Anka and I, about building, throwing, and staying creative during tricky times. Uh, one of the potters in Southern Georgia Bay that I've been a fan of for a long time is Anka Lex. How are you today, Anka? Very good. Nice to hear from you. Yeah, you know what? I have one of your pieces in my collection. It's a lovely bowl, and it's been it's it's got like a texture to it, as if you pressed something into it. I think it's called a built. It's it's not thrown. But it's built. Hand piece. Hand piece. And that's what you do, right? I do wheel throwing and I do hand building as well. So you I do both. Okay. I do both. Yeah. And I also do tile work. And tile work as well. And mm -hmm. so now you've been at this for a long time, have you not? Well, it's coming up to 20 years, I would say. Yes. Uh -huh. That is a long time, I guess. <laughs> and do you, do you kind of switch around? Do you, do you go through spurts where you do some throwing and then some tile? Or do you, do, do you just kind of switch around all the time? No, I don't switch around all the time. I have a very, like, three, four months of the year I spend very intensely in the studio. And then I have a period when I just throw my pottery. Then I have a period when I paint on my pottery. And then I have a period when I design my tile murals. That's a whole different energy again. Yeah. And so it always goes through periods in, in during, during the year. Great. And does it have anything to do with the time of year? Like, are there certain things that no, you... No, it's usually uh, late winter, early spring. That's yeah. kind of the time. Yeah. Do you ever take a break? It doesn't sound like it. <laughs> <laughs> I do take a break because we, we were doing other things as well. But when I'm in the pottery, then I don't like, like to switch out and, and do other projects. That's when so I... What has, it been, what has it been lately? Well, uh, really, I was very productive in the spring because I was in lockdown. So luckily, yes. I still had some clay and I really immersed myself into my studio. And I truly enjoyed that. And there was like a work period of intense work period for about two, three months. And then I came out of that. And usually I was out then engaging with my community and that all of a sudden didn't happen. So I found that extremely difficult. You know, after a long work process, it's always great to have an opening and see people and show off your work. And so I was a little disappointed and it, it was hard I just not to see anybody. And then, uh, in the, then over the summer I had a show and it was called Fantastic Idea ideas and is was at the press room gallery which of course is the reception area to the theater right. and i was just supposed to have it up for september but because you not much was happening i hung it a week a month earlier so it was actually up for eight weeks Thank which you. was great because it gave more people the chance to go through and see the show so it did have a fair bit of exposure and again i couldn't have an opening i really couldn't advertise the show too much people had to go into the building with their masks on not more than four people in the gallery so it was um it was not not as much fun as it has been in the past but i found the people that came out really really were aching to see some art especially since the performing art didn't happen at all this year so i felt people really did take extra amount of time and, and really looked at the pieces carefully and and uh sales were also pretty good 
I, I was quite happy with, with the way the show turned out. And I found that the same when the Blue Mountain Foundation for the Arts and Lowdown um, together organized the uh, pedestrian walks on Simcoe Street. So yes. there were, I think, six, six Saturdays where the artists were out on the street. And it, it was very low key, but people that came out, they just said, oh, we are so glad you're doing this because we really, really wanted to come out and be connected to the community, to the artists and vice versa for the artists. They really want to talk to people about their work. It's something we always took so much for granted. So you don't realize how much you need each other. Yes, so yeah, I think people have certainly been starved for a lot yeah. of the arts over yeah. the last, uh, last six months. Yeah, and so if we don't have that connection like with live theater or live music, that's it's unfortunately not happening at all. So even that little bit of one-on-one -on -one connection to, to, to people, uh, the artists, has become very important, I find, for both parties, for both. Yes. Yeah. And, well, and arts, are, you know, arts are really important. I think arts are especially important during hard times, right? There, there's something I think that... so. I think so. And even during the good times, when, when we had things happening at the, at the theater, it is really just the way how the community comes together and celebrates. And people really do walk away after something like that, so uplifted. Mm -hmm. That's always been my experience. And that's really, really missing, I find. Yeah, now you mentioned, a little, you mentioned just a few moments ago, you said you still had some clay. Were supplies hard to get during? Oh yeah, Tucker's, uh, uh, Tucker's shut down completely. And I was lucky because uh, I heard that and I said, we don't have enough time because we were in lockdown, so I couldn't leave the house. And I was, and it was just one hour that Tucker still was going to be open. So I called Jason Alexander from the, uh, yes. and, and he just happened to be in the city with his trailer. And I said, Jason, wow. can you please sit by Tucker's for me? And he said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Otherwise I would have sat at home not being able to work and not being able to leave the house. So that would have been extremely difficult. And, and Ian Tucker's, I know, being a huge supplier of yeah. clay. Yeah, oh yeah, he, there's, there's two. There is Tucker's and then there's Pottery Supply House and there's nothing else in all of Ontario. Wow. So but when they shut down, it was major, like the potters were starting to go really yes. crazy, <laughs> getting their clay. I mean, what else are you going to do if you work, you work from your studio and you mm -hmm. don't have the materials you need? Right. And your studio is located in Collingwood, right? Um, yeah, I work from my home because, yeah, I don't, like, as I said, I only work about three, four months out of the year in my mm -hmm. studio. So it keeps me very flexible, which yeah. I love. And uh, people, I have a showroom, my covered porch. I call it my studio gallery. Yes. And <laughs> I've driven by it many times. <laughs> it looks and lovely. Welcome to come over. Just send me an email or give me a phone call to see if I'm home because I'm in and out all the time. And yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. Great. And you have a we have a you have a website, right? I have a website. It's ankalex.com. Okay. And Thank I you. also am on Instagram under Ankalex. Ankalex as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's fantabulous because we can also I know on that website we can see some of your work as well. You have a gallery. Yes. Yeah, the, the gallery, and I also uh, lately listed my exhibits because I've been trying, for the last seven years, I try to have one exhibit a year. I either do it at the Tremont or at 65 Simcoe, and I have that, I found that just extremely enjoyable to creating a body of work, body of work that I get to exhibit. It's like, so then I have all of my work. There's my tar murals, my hand-built pieces. My, I started to doing some encaustic, some wheel-thrown bowls, painted bowls. 
and I put it all together. The last one was fantastic ideas. The one before was um, growing ideas and, you know, lots, lots, lots of interesting things. <laughs> Great. Okay. So listen, thanks so, so much for chatting with me today. And again, Ankalex.com is your website. Uh, we'll also post it on the uh, on our Facebook page as well. You are absolutely one of the wows of Southern Georgia Bay. I love your stuff and I love your energy and we will talk to you again, okay? That's so kind. Thank you, Dean. Thanks for having me. Now, in addition to her work as a ceramic artist, Anka and her husband Rick are responsible for some rather glorious accomplishments when it comes to historic buildings. Another wow for sure, but one that we'll have to wait for another day, another episode. If you'd like more info on Anka and her work, her website once again, AnkaLex.com. Now I'll post that, her email, and a photo of the piece of hers that I love so much on the This Here Wow Facebook page. Say, if you'd like more information on This Here Wow or yours truly, just go to my website, deanholland.com. That's D-E-A-N-H-O-L-L-I-N.com. You'll find a page entirely dedicated to This Here Wow on that site, which will include past episodes. Now, as we heard in that last segment speaking with Anka, the pandemic and its lockdowns have resulted in some rather unique and challenging roadblocks for many, many businesses. So many arts-based businesses have taken and continue to endure a rather devastating blow. As a result, much in the way of live music is simply a not-happening thing these days. There are movers and shakers within that particular discipline, however, who continue to get my attention and continue to earn wows from me due to their simple refusal to sit back and do nothing. If we look a bit to the western side of SGB, the Meaford area to be precise, we'll find a gentleman by the name of Chris Sherry. With his finger forever on the pulse and always looking for ways to get musicians around him working, referring to Chris as being an instrumental part of the Meaford music scene, would clearly be an understatement. So I figured I needed to I needed to reach out to the music guy at the west end of South right. Georgian Bay, Chris Sherry. And mm. uh, so hope you, you've been well anyway. You've been you've been keeping well. Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of like rolling with the punches, and yeah. um, and you know, it's it's tough because you just don't know what the future is going to be, right? So planning, like I think we had this conversation a few months ago mm -hmm, when we did talk and it, it's hard to plan anything because we just don't know what, what the future is going to hold. I think we're in a better place this year than we were last year because we have an idea of what the summer could look like. And so um, there are a few wheels turning right now as mm -hmm. far as, as, as planning. Uh, but I think the key for anyone planning any kind of uh, live music events or anything is to have a contingency plan in place. One of the things like Canada Day, for example, I was having a conversation with someone about Canada Day and Meaford, what it might look like. Mm -hmm. And I think in order to plan something like that, booking musicians these days um, or any kind of entertainment is to have them ready for a backup plan of doing some kind of a live stream or a pre-recorded show should the conditions change from what we're hoping they're going to be. Right. Um, and so, you know, and also incorporating all the, the rules and regulations that will have to be in place uh, or might have to be in place at that time for, for things to move forward. Which also um, can I, change, also seem to be quite fluid at times. Right. 
Um, I think the basics are there where, you know, you have to have certain, you know, things available for people, uh, washrooms that are being cleaned on a regular basis, hand sanitizer, people wearing masks and someone to wipe down tables and things like that, you know, um, and maybe even, even, uh, clearly outlining where people need to sit in order to be separated. But it, it, event planning is definitely a, a, a bigger beast than it used to be, um, if it's going to be happening at all. Right. And it seems to me that, you know, when you're, when you're talking about all these extra things that need to be done, as it, as it is in a, in a best case scenario, it is often difficult uh, for, it's a challenge for musicians to make that living doing what they do, especially, you know, outside concerts. And so it seems to me that especially with having to have all of this, these extra protocols in place, you, you really need the public buy-in. You really need them to buy in and to really support it financially too. Absolutely. I, I think a lot of the things we saw happening last year in the past year have been uh, fully or partially funded by, by grants and sponsors and, and that, you know, and groups that, that want to stay, um, uh, you know, relevant to their, to their audience. And that's helped some musicians get through. But, but again, you know, um, if you're a gigging musician and playing bars, especially if you're in a band, those days are gone. And I don't know when they're going to come back, be it for an outside event or indoor event. So, so that, you know, the musicians have had to, to uh, kind of last summer, there were, there were some gigs to be had, but they were all solo duo gigs where you were playing at, if you, if you were in an upbeat uh, nightclub band of some kind or bar band, um, you had to change your repertoire so that you didn't get people up dancing, you know, like, and, and you're playing stuff that behind a piece of plexiglass in a duo usually and, and, or a solo artist. Mm -hmm. And, and for those front people that, that can play and sing, it was a great thing, but how many side men got, you know, sidelined and have been sidelined because that big production they were part of is, 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 you know, no longer. And, and who knows when it'll come back. You're right. If you are lucky enough to be one of those that can pick up a guitar and sing or, you know, it was easier for you to do online gigs. As right. Well. That as well. Right. And, and I think I think for some, you know, at the very beginning, especially we had a lot of live stream uh, stuff going on. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that musicians like everyone else, you know, we were thinking, OK, this is going to be a month. It's going to be two months. It's going to be three months. You know, and and so for the first little while, we had some really good content online from people doing stuff on their own. But uh, because I think uh, I think Facebook made some changes in October as far as live streaming music and copyright and stuff like that. And I think some people lost the steam, you know, like they ran out of steam and it's like, OK, I can't be you know playing online every every week uh, for an hour for whatever. You know, and most of the time there was no money involved. So. So I, I think it'll be really nice to get back to uh, being able to um, to play. Now, um, I was really happy that I think the last time we talked, I was in the process of putting out the From Home Music series. I believe so, yes. I think so, right? So that ran, and we were able to, uh, to get 20 musicians involved and uh, have them showcase. Um, for the most part, it was original music, and there were some cover tunes as well. And with the help of the Region of Tourism, Ontario, and Bruce Gray Simcoe, and a couple of other sponsors, um, we, we were able to, to, to get that music out there. 20 videos in total, you know, the audio was mixed and the videos were edited and, and get them out there so people can watch their favorite local musicians play. 
who would they would otherwise see in a bar somewhere or at a restaurant playing or on a patio. Um, and then things opened up a bit in the summer. And then when things shut down again, the RTO reached out to me and were kind enough to give me some more funding and just, just in exchange for running the series again. So it, that was a great little surprise. And, and, you know, every little bit helps. And I've been talking to some of the musicians um, and, you know, they were excited about that. But, but I think we need to get back to a place where, where we're in front of people, even if there's a piece of plexiglass between us. When I hear about these online concerts not really generating a lot of money, I guess my question is, what can the public be doing to really help this along? Because it can't, it can't just be left up to government money. What can we do to help? I think at the very, you know, we're all in different situations right now financially and with work and everything else. So to ask, um, to ask everyone to donate to a musician is, is a bit tough, but I think what, at the very least, even if a musician's not doing a free show on Facebook, but you're, you're a fan of someone that, that has material up online, you know, even as, as simple as going to their YouTube channel or somewhere where, you know, they have material and sharing that on your own feed, uh, social media and, and tagging them in it, you know, just to, just to remind people, hey, you know, this is so-and-so and and this is a song I used to love hearing them play or pictures from when you went to see them at a bar or a little video you did on the phone or anything like that. I think that's the simplest, easiest and inexpensive way everyone can help. And then if you see someone that's actually going, you know, playing online and you can donate a few bucks, that's great. If you're a venue or a, a restaurant or, or, a, or a municipality, and you're in any kind of position where you can start a conversation with local musicians about how you can get them out playing again through the summer. And if there's funding or grants, then I think that that's something we need to do. Like musicians aren't the only people that need help, but, but I think in, in our case, you know, that's our, that's our life, you know, that's our world. So, yeah. so we need to, we need to, to, there are musicians that that's their only source of income. Yeah. And then and, musicians and, have been very, have been really hard hit. I, I think so. And, and, you know, it'll be one of the last things it's not a, it's, it's so necessary. Music is so necessary. We mm -hmm. both know it is, but as far as if you're running a business where you usually used to book live music, that's not going to be the first thing you think of when you're trying to open up again, no. you know, especially with all the expenses and the, and, and the reduced capacity that you have. Yeah. So, and I think it's, you know, it's up to the musicians as well to have more hustle than they ever had. We had the same conversation last time, you know, where if you have an idea of something you want to do at a place that has a patio in the summer, maybe come up with something and say, look, I'd like to do a special show here. You know, this, this, you know, three weeks from now, I'm going to promote it. We're going to charge a cover charge. And that way there's no cost to the venue or maybe there's a guarantee from the venue plus the cover charge, you know, things like that. Um, and when you think about it, these are all things now that we all are, are desperate to have more of. So there's more value to them than ever. You know, yeah, they, there's been a lot of talk in the circles that I uh, rotate in that, again, during these hard times, uh, I mean, music is certainly the arts and music are certainly appreciated during happy times, but they're they're so necessary during the tough right. times. And now if I'm going to a restaurant, you know, I'm willing to pay that extra whatever it is to have to see one of my favorite local musicians play the, those songs that I haven't heard him play or her play in, in two years or a year and a half, you know? So, so I think there's value in that. And, and uh, we need to recognize it as musicians 
and and venues need to understand that as well that there are going to be ways to to have live music back in venues and and have it be a, a positive thing from for from a business standpoint as well well that would sure be nice i you know spring is just around the corner mm-hmm. in a way it's hard to believe and with the the big thaw will be the ability to get outside more often and uh, so i'm looking forward to some of those gigs that we've chatted about absolutely me too once again i i I'm so grateful. Thanks for all the uh, the hard work and uh, that you do out your end of the woods there. And uh, I will reach out to you again uh, once we get uh, into spring and I'll uh, find out what's going on. Okay. Excellent, Dean. Thanks very much. Cheers. And that is one hardworking musician and event producer. Always a pleasure to chat with. Always such a supporter of local talent. I've posted Chris's contact information on the This Here Wow Facebook page, including his website address, chrissherrypresents.com. With any luck, we'll have some live events happening this summer. Wear those masks, ladies and gentlemen, and you might not have to cross your fingers quite so firmly. This here, wow. I recall very clearly the book that I took out from the school library whilst I was in grades two through four. I can clearly picture that cover, Cooking for Kids. From an early age, I was so fascinated by all things culinary. At one point in my early 20s, I seriously entertained going to chef school rather than heading into, well, entertainment. So when the Royal Agriculture Winter Fair saw me at work hosting a chef's competition at Collingwood's GNE and subsequently hired me for what ended up being five years of royals, emceeing their food and lifestyle stage, I was in a bit of heaven. Each year for 10 days straight, I shared the stage with some of this country's most impressive culinary personalities. It was during that time that I first heard and I think this was from Chef Ted Reeder, the term food porn. Yeah, you heard me correctly, food porn. You know, those cookbooks by the likes of Jamie Oliver, James McNair, Bob Bloomer, and others that have just the best sexy photos of food accompanied by equally enticing recipes, things you just have to make. Well, in my beloved collection of those types of books, I have a favorite. Oh, yeah, it's definitely a wow. And it's from right here in SGB. Yeah, Come to Our Table, South Georgian Bay Community Cookbook, which was released in 2016, is the result of a heck of a lot of work by a certain trio, Heather Goldsworthy, Rihanna Kish, and Scott Gloucester. I recently connected with two-thirds of that trio to gush over their rather incredible 200-page accomplishment. Yeah, I think what I recall, and it feels like a really long time ago, and I have a terrible memory, so, um, but I seem to recall that Heather... You came in with something like with a really solid idea to begin with, not just for the cookbook, but for at a time when, you know, the the idea of local food, this idea of um, exploring what the area had to offer and and showing people what the area had to offer was really just sort of like it was there, but it was at the beginning of it. You know, it was just sort of all bubbling. And, And so Heather came with this really sort of solid idea. And then the three of us, together like a sort of right moment right time right people it was so it's sort of actually odd and amazing that it happened because it yeah. right people to do like everyone had the right skills to fill all the roles that we needed to make this thing which is not a small it was not a small task you know no <laughs> um, no so it's and you know what <laughs> those three the three of us came together to be able to pull it off you know is yeah. pretty at a time yeah. that was begging like something was begging for this to happen because this local food scene was really just starting to kind of simmer and become its own identity you know 
I would agree wholeheartedly with you because that this is this was published about five years ago. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's five years ago we released it, which is insane, but yeah. yeah. And you're yeah. right, that around that time was when I was working at the, the Royal Winter Fair, and there was a lot of talk, and it had sort of just begun, this whole right. talk about local, and that's why I was there, because they were reaching out to different local fall fairs and sort of bringing winners of their food challenges to the Royal every year. It was a lot of push mm -hmm. for local, so you were right, yeah. right on yeah. point. You were absolutely yeah. right on point just by looking at all the credits at the back, you, there was a mm. lot of people to pull together. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it, it's a massive organizational bungle. And I will say that Heather is the queen of organizing things. And I, like just extreme organizational skills and that kept everything in line because there were, you know, people to reach out to and contact to get the recipes. Yeah, it, it was a two year process. Right. To, to fully produce it because it took us the, like the first year was just trying to get the right people involved and right. on board and committed to being there because we kind of needed that we needed a certain amount of buy-in from the people that were going to be featured in the book and then also to because we had to finance the whole thing our, ourselves um it was yeah going after funding and grants and all that kind of stuff it was yeah even getting to the point where it's like okay we're ready to actually start producing a book that was a full year right and then yeah and then like rihanna says like just trying to organize collecting all of that information and yeah, I mean, I can't take all the credit for that too. Like Rihanna was collecting all the recipes from all the chefs, which as you can imagine, wrangling chefs is yeah. <laughs> good fun. Yes, and they, they would be the first ones to admit right? that that's a challenge, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so like so collecting all those recipes and then she was doing all the recipe testing as well. Um, I was going to ask you ladies what the favorite part of the process was, but Rihanna, that must have been really nice to test the recipes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's what my, like what my background could bring to the table was sort of a, a knowledge of working with recipes and how to, you know, pull them into a common voice for the book so that it was uniform and you're not looking at one recipe that's in, you know, these measurements and what, because we got them you know, anywhere from a beautifully typed out, like, computer, like, thing to, like, scrawled on a napkin, you know, stained, whatever. That's so beautiful. we got them in all formats. So it was a great job, but a challenge, too. And then to be able to translate it so that the user of the book was going to find it, one, worked and mm -hmm. was um, usable, you know? Yeah. yeah. All the little details that we would have no idea about. That's yeah. the thing with so many of yeah. these kind of projects where you, as the consumer of it, whether it's a book, whether it's a piece of theater, whether it's a, a, a painting or a photograph, or you, as the consumer of it, you have no idea what goes in behind the scenes, right? And it's layers and layers and layers of preparation and work and organizing and pulling all these different skills in to make it this one complete thing that looks like it's nothing, but it's well, and that kind of goes back to it being the the right people with the right skills to put it together. Because like what Rihanna brought for the knowledge of what was going to be required for editing and testing the recipes. And then with Scott's background and understanding of actual like book publishing and how that part of the piece goes in. And it's, yeah, like if we didn't have the right people with those skills, then it, it could have, it could have turned out horribly. <laughs> it could have been a whole different thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it, well, it certainly, it certainly did not. And I got to tell you that the reason it really jumped out at me when I saw it, and I've had this book for a couple of years. The reason it jumped out at me was that it was, it's just so darn beautiful. It's so, as soon as you open it up, it's just page after page of impressive. And, mm -hmm. and if I have only, and if I have one uh, criticism of it, it's only that my head spins when I read the book because I don't know which one to do first. Yeah. I'm going to go, oh my, you know, I see, oh, I want to do the panna cotta. And then I go, oh no, no, I got to do, you know, I got to do the rainbow trout, you know, and it's, and, and the other fun thing for me is that uh, although I don't know everybody, I know a lot of the personalities that are, that are in the book. And, yeah, right. yeah. There's also new people in there for me as well. So how did you it, find all these people? Oh, uh, like how did you I begin that search? Yeah, I think, I think between the three of us we were actually connected with a good chunk of the people like I was I specialize in food photography and was working at Azura with Andrea Grabeel so we, like I was kind of connected in the starting to connect in the food world um here Rana of course knew a bunch of people uh Scott knew a few as well and then it would snowball a little bit um yeah. we'd meet other people through through other people that were being part of the book. And if you sort of um, think back to, you know, it was sort of, if it's been available now five years, it's sort of six, mm -hmm. six and a half, seven years ago when, yeah. you know, honestly, the, the players, there were fewer players out there. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it was pretty obvious. We knew it was local. We knew it was like, we had a pretty sharp focus for what we were looking for from the book. So it, it's, it's not like it is now where, it's tripled, quadrupled the amount of people mm -hmm. doing work in food and work with local food has, mm -hmm. I mean, it's increased a crazy amount since yeah. when we were looking at the book, whereas initially the, the key players, they were, it was pretty obvious who they were anyways mm -hmm. from, at that time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Beyond the recipes, you have some really great, I mean, you could almost call them commentary, but they're, they're like little, little anecdotes about our yeah. living in our area. Yeah. I think that that's my favorite part of the book too. I mean, if I had to pick a favorite thing, it's the having the art and the stories in there really, it just kind of brings it together and it gives people, I've talked to lots of people who go back to that book again and again. Uh, and they're like, yeah, I just picked it up just to read a story out of it. It's not just a book that sits in the kitchen and you pull it out when you are looking for a particular recipe. It's, um, yeah, there's interesting stuff to go back to again and again. And we have so many amazing writers up here. Like we were so fortunate to get contributions from the, the caliber of, of writers that we did. Um, yeah, totally. Uh, you, some of the pictures even in there reminded me Hogs Falls. I mean, that wasn't on my radar. And then, yeah. and then uh, I saw this picture and I thought, oh my goodness, that's, that's like in my backyard. Yeah, and those are, I think, is the, is the Hogsfall one, is that one of Collins, really? Collins or is it yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. it's one of, yeah. it's, it's yeah. accredited to Colin Field. Okay, okay. yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah. that was the other thing, too, is, like, we had the art and the stories, and, like I said, like, my, at that point, I had just moved back. Most of my photography is uh, the food, and then I do more, mostly commercial work, um, so, but we wanted some more of the place in there, and so, yeah, Rihanna's partner, Colin, is a phenomenal photographer in the area and our friend Allison Kennedy Davy is also phenomenal and so uh, we used a few of their images in the book again just to kind of round it out mm -hmm. so it's a full kind of experience of the area. 
Yeah, it's it truly is beautifully balanced. Uh, all these mm. things we've talked about: recipes, yeah. uh, little stories, artwork, fabulous photography from both you and those contributors that you've talked about. It really is just it has a beautiful balance to it. Yeah, and Scott just like pulled it together in a way because we didn't we kind of knew how we wanted it to look. We all definitely had a very high bar of what we expected of of this book. But we just kind of let Scott do his thing. And, and what he came back with was just, yeah. <laughs> so where can we get the book? Uh, we have a few fabulous retailers that are helping us out. We have a couple in Collingwood, Thornbury, Meaford, all the way over into Gray County as well. Fabulous. Well, listen, I want to really congratulate you. Fabulous, fabulous book. I, uh, I've been working my way through it. Uh, all of the elements, the artwork, the stories, the recipes. Haven't done them all. But I'm working on it. So, so thanks, thanks a ton, eh? Yeah, thank you thanks so much. I'm told that there remains a rather limited number of copies of this now out-of-print beauty of a book available to purchase. Also worth mentioning is the fact that 10% of all sales have gone and continue to go to local community food programs, especially those involving youth. To date, this project has put about $15,000 back into the community. And that, my friends, is a wow on top of a wow. I've provided the link you'll need to get yourself a copy of Come to Our Table on my Facebook page. Again, that's This Here Wow Podcast with Dean Holland. And while you're there, you can give the page a like. It would really make my day, don't you know? Thanks to all my guests on this week's podcast. Not so much for taking the time to chat with me, but for adding something really exceptional to the South Georgian Bay landscape. Thank you so much. We are very lucky, you and I, to be able to be here in this wonderful place I call SGB. Of course, I'll have an entirely different bunch of wows to bring your way next week. There's certainly no shortage of them here in SGB. And with March 8th being International Women's Day, next week's lineup of extraordinary guests will be entirely of the female persuasion. Won't be difficult to do, believe me. Now, if you have any questions or comments, or perhaps there's a wow that you think should be on my radar, please send me an email. Dean at thishearwow.com will get that job done. You can also go to my website, deanholland.com. That's dean, H-O-L-L-I-N.com, and would love to hear from you. Big thanks to my technical producer, Ben McCulley, for cutting and pasting the show together so very nicely. Also thanks to my totally invaluable IT guy, Mitchell and a really big thanks to you, too, for being here with me on this, my launch episode. I look forward to us being together again next week for another installment of This Here Wow. Until then, I'm Dean Holland. Do, do.